When I was in middle school, I remember sitting in my counselor's office and being very new to counseling and all the things that came with it. I remember my counselor telling me something that really shocked me. And this was my first foray into deeper awareness of myself and into the mental health sector of health. Um, As as you probably might remember, uh, in middle school, we are not super self-aware. And she told me something I had never noticed before about myself, which was that I said the word should a lot. I remember when she told me this, I actually got really mad at her. Um, I'm, I'm not super, I'm not a person who gets super, super angry, but internally I was seething and it freaked me out that she pointed this out about myself. First off, I didn't like things being pointed out about me that seemed like maybe they were super negative, but she challenged me that I might be healthier if I didn't use shoulds in my life at all. She actually suggested that should, saying I should this or I shouldn't do that, was actually not helping me. This made me more mad, and I pretty much stopped talking with her at this point, because when she initially called this out on me, it truly made no sense. Shoulds were how I lived my entire life. If I wanted to figure out what to do with my time or or what I was going to eat or how I was going to respond to somebody doing something to me, whether that was good or bad, I was all framed around the concepts of should. Should I be kind? Should I do my homework? Should I clean my room? Everything was organized around this nebulous concept of some greater authority or some syllabus of my life telling me what I ought to do. By my counselor suggesting that shoulds were not healthy for me, it was really disorienting and honestly quite frustrating. She was suggesting I remove something that I used in my life vigorously and regularly to create order or to create um, just something to some guidelines to follow. It was years then before I started to understand how harmful my shoulds really were. And that is why I wanted to take time today to dive into this concept on today's episode. Gut health and mental health are extremely linked, and even though we've spent a lot of our time on this podcast diving into the physical and the biochemical causes of gut health dysfunction, whether they're parasites or acid, stomach acid levels, all these different nuances, ultimately, I know that if I had never dove into my spiritual and my emotional and my psychological health and really worked through those things, I would not be the in the healthy state that I am today, even with all the supplements or protocols or getting rid of parasites or craniosacral therapy, all of those things would have been for nothing if I also didn't dive into my physical and my spiritual and my psychological health. So without further ado, here's today's episode. Five reasons that saying I should is keeping you sick. 
Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. Before I dive into our content today, I just want to talk about why I'm even talking about I should, or as we like to say, shoulding on ourselves today. The reason that I even decided that I wanted to be talking about this topic is because a client of mine recently recommended to me a book that I had never heard of called Healing Back Pain by Dr. John Sarno. And Dr. John Sarno was a physician, a medical doctor who was you know, dealing with patients with back pain for decades. And he ended up developing a totally new diagnosis and treatment pathway for clients who had very chronic (laughs) low back pain that nobody had been able to fix. Many of his clients had already had back surgeries, gone through months and years of physical therapy, had been told to you know, not do a lot of rigorous work, had been bedridden, had been told, lift your boxes this way and don't straighten your back that way and all these different how-tos and ways to save their back and help their back. And yet they still lived in really chronic pain of varying levels. And what he ends up saying is, and developing over his years of work and uh, talking with his patients, and then of course treating them, is discovering that he creates a totally new diagnosis called TMS for short, or tension myositis syndrome. And TMS is unique in that he describes that it is an emotional barometer for how the body is doing. And a lot of times when emotions get intense in the brain, especially even in the subconscious, and he really, his whole theory surrounds the idea of that when we have subconscious anger, um, subconscious sorrow that turns to anger, things like that, that the body then will create ischemia, which is areas where there's low amounts of blood flow. And there's, without blood, you're going to have pain. You're going to have, imagine if you put a tourniquet on your arm, it it becomes uncomfortable. Your, Your hand might go numb, your hand or your arm might hurt. The area around the tourniquet might hurt extra. Uh, It's going to change colors. You're going to feel stiff. That area, that arm will be more difficult to move. And he says that the brain is actually effective at creating ischemia anywhere in the body where we have restricted blood flow and that uh, depending on the person, depending on the culture, that those areas where the brain will restrict blood flow may vary. 
So his his first crowning work is healing back pain. And in it, he talks about who who what type of people does he tend to see get this chronic back pain. And he talks about men and women he's worked with and and they tend to be people who are have high expectations, who maybe their parents set them up to have high expectations, they're perfectionistic, they have they just put a lot of pressure on themselves. And and I mean, me reading this, I I can't deny that that was, I'm one of those people. And that's been one of the things I've had to really, really grow in. And so this, everything we're talking about um, here today is not what Dr. Sarno dives into, into that book, but he does talk about and bring up this problem of the tyranny of the should. And so I have created based off of my experience and the ways that I've healed myself, um, ways that saying I should is actually keeping us sick. And there are reasons we keep shoulds in our life, but those reasons are usually out of fear. They're out of, of lack of comfort in, in knowing where we're going or what we're doing or feeling like we're enough. Um, but one of the things that helped me grow the most in my shoulds and healing from them and, and honestly walking away from them is simply realizing they weren't helping me. The reason I used them was because I thought that they were helpful. I thought that they were good. And that's a lot of times the reasons why we keep negative things in our lives is because maybe we think they're good. We think they're helping us. We think they're the crutch that's getting us through the day. But sometimes they're the crutch that's holding us back from just simply being able to walk. So number one, saying I should keeps you from deeper body awareness. So my story for this is, and and we know that body awareness is the first step in healing. If you've listened to my episode on the five steps to unlimited health, the very first step of that five steps is body awareness or just awareness in general. The first thing you need to do to fix a problem is to say, I have a problem and maybe to be able to understand where is the problem. If it's like in your house is the problem that your house is too cold? Well, why is that? Is it because the windows are open? Is it because you have um, a draft coming in from the roof? Is it because your air conditioning is broken? You can have a problem, but it kind of takes awareness to be able to track down where is that problem coming from? And with saying I should, it actually keeps us from body awareness. So how does it do this? My story of this is when I started my business in 2018, I was still healing from chronic illness and I hadn't found my parasite in my body. I was going, I was starting to be able to eat more foods, but really still had to be very, very careful. It felt like with my physical health else, I'd have, you know, just a lot of pain, a lot of fatigue was still really in the healing phase of my health. And so I was starting a business on top of still healing and I was doing incredibly new things every single day. And there was rarely a day where I wasn't doing something different or new or that was scaring me. I mean, I was creating websites and I was answering emails and I was taking credit card payments and I was doing quarterly taxes. That was stressful. (laughs) And because of that, I also noticed that more than even years prior to this when I was sick, I really wanted to take naps during the day. 
Now, upon realizing this, I was initially tempted to be very hard on myself. I knew I had just started a business and I knew I didn't have a boss over me saying like, keep working. And I wasn't clocking in or clocking out of my work. And I wanted to develop good work ethic in building my business. And I didn't want to, you know, my, you know, the big fear of a business owner is you don't want to put yourself into poverty by sleeping when you want to be making money in your business. And so I reckon, I remember realizing I wanted to take naps, understanding that I was sick, having just gone through a year of training on massage therapy and understanding the processes, the healing processes of the body. And I was so tempted to just kind of look at myself, be annoyed and tell myself I should keep working. But I also had had years of therapy at this point, and I'd done a lot of deep spiritual work in praying and listening to God and developing a trust and a faith in something outside of myself. And so I knew that my shoulds showed up most when I was afraid and when I felt like I wasn't allowed to enjoy something that I had the opportunity to enjoy. And in this case, a nap during the nine to five work hours of the day felt like a luxury. Like how dare I take this enjoyable thing and take a nap and take care of myself when maybe XYZ people are working nine to five and maybe I'm a less good person. And so maybe I should not take a nap. Maybe I should keep working. And like I said, I was incredibly afraid of not making more money. So I was really, really wanting to live by my shoulds. But I, before I decided whether or not to take a nap, uh, especially early on when, when I was having to first make this choice, I thought of a few ways that how taking a nap for me might grow me. I knew that if I took a nap, it would actually challenge me and grow my compassion for myself. I knew that growing my compassion for myself would actually help me show up more genuinely in the world. And when I was with my clients and when I was working on my business, I'd be able to be more fully present. Secondly, I intuited that if I took a nap and ignored the shoulds, (laughs) that I would practice not living by my shoulds. And that by living outside of my sense of doing something perfect, I would actually be growing myself to be more comfortable with being where I was at when I was at. And that meant maybe at some point in time, I felt tired. And by accepting that in myself, I invited healing into myself. I, at this point, knew I mean, my first time I encountered the whole idea of living outside of my shoulds was, you know, in middle school, and I'd been thinking on it for years. I mean, so it'd probably been about 10 years at this point by the time I was rethinking about how 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 do I have the best life, not just a, the right life. Um, I'm an Enneagram one, and I really want to do things right. I'm very motivated by that. And so what I did is I took that motivation to do things right, and I turned it on its head. I said, you know, what if the way to do things right is actually to to lean into the fear, to to learn from it and to say, I'm okay with being afraid that my business might fail or that um, I'm I'm 
taking advantage of naps, but rather what if I enjoyed the naps? What if I received it as a gift? What if I trusted that my business would move forward even if I rested and that it might move forward better? And I knew that if I felt more rested, I'd make better decisions and serve my clients better, which would help my business to grow. And I didn't want to burn out of my business. So ultimately, I made the choice in the first few weeks of my business to when I felt like I needed to take a nap, I would take the nap. And that was the scariest part because, you know, you had this feeling of when you went to bed and again, remember I'm chronically ill and if you're struggling with, with sickness right now or chronic illness and fatigue, you might be familiar with this feeling of, okay, if I take a nap, how long am I going to sleep? Am I going to feel worse when I get up? Maybe groggier or maybe out of it. What if I sleep too long? What if I don't want to get out of bed when I wake up? because you're just not feeling better. And so it was a very trust-filled act to listen to my body and to say, I'm going to take this awareness I have of this, my body's desire to take a nap, and I'm going to actually dive into my body awareness rather than smother it with my should. I should keep working. And I felt I shouldn't have the choice to take a nap, but I did. And a lot of times what happened, here's the crazy thing. I remember actually like writing this down in my journal as I was processing these new changes going on in my life of of owning a business and stepping into deeper leadership of myself. And I remember uh, having naps and waking up and on my phone or in my email box, having a voicemail or having an email that says from a client, maybe oftentimes a client I had never met before, saying, I would like to set up an appointment with you. And this was so big for me because it really challenged this idea that I had of if I rest, that I'm going to fail. Honestly, if I, I remember thinking if I had ended up working for that hour that I took a nap or the 30 minutes or the hour and a half, however long I was sleeping, and then, and then got the call from that client or got the email, I know I would have been much more grumpy, much less ready to even serve them or take care of them or call them back, whatever it was taking to do the work of my business. I would have been in a much less mentally prepared and physically prepared situation. And ultimately, that was me honoring my body, not just letting it take over, because that was the other thing is I sometimes had to weigh, you know, if if I'm feeling tired, is it worth it to keep going for just a little bit longer, 30 more minutes or an hour to accomplish a project or to finish something I set out to do? And so I didn't always choose to take a nap if I was feeling, you know, a little sleepy or something. But what I ended up doing is I made it a conversation. And that is completely different than our shoulds. It is, instead of just living by this like rote, I should, I shouldn't, black and white, done, no conversation, I started learning how to make a choice in a moment with a couple different details and it be different every time. And I also learned to simply take ownership of whatever happened after the nap and take ownership of, okay, maybe I will sleep a little bit longer than I expected to, or maybe I'll get a client while I'm sleeping. And I learned to become the CEO, not only of my business and not only of my time, but also of my body and of my body's needs. That in itself 
was huge and is huge in any type of healing of our bodies because we can so often live in this, again, this tyranny of the should, which is forcing us to continue to do things and completely demolishes our sense of need, our our body's needs, our mind's needs, and tells us we're not allowed to have things. You're not allowed to take a nap. You're not allowed to rest from taking care of your kids. You're not allowed to spend money on a certain thing to support yourself. You're not allowed this or that. And we stop being in relationship with ourselves. We stop being in this dynamic um we stop being present in the world and we start living by this kind of cardboard box, this, this fake reality of shoulds and shouldn'ts that is kind of detached from what's actually going on. And we never learn to dialogue with ourselves. And also we never learn to step into our fears because genuinely I was afraid of my business failing or of not getting clients or of of maybe developing lazy habits. That was a fear, but I stepped into that. And because I did, that fear is no longer a fear or it's a significantly smaller fear. And my body is more at ease. My body is more set up for healing because I pressed into my shoulds and I stepped into body awareness. The second reason that saying I should is keeping you sick is that saying I should keeps us from clarity. So to describe this, in my first few months after graduating college, I was deeply disoriented because I went from being a full-time student, you know, going straight from high school into college. And when you're a student, you live by your syllabus. You live by the books you're told to read and the class you're told to show up to and the homework you're assigned and the due dates and the exams. And that was the way that I monitored my whole life of, you know, am I keeping up? Am I, you know, I even got grades on everything. So you get to know, like, how am I doing? Oh, I got an A. I'm doing well. And when you exit college, no one's, I mean, unless you go to into more education, people are not grading you, at least not nearly as frequently. Even if you have an employer, it might be a quarterly review or a yearly review. Nothing like exams, nothing like tests. You're merely maybe told, we want to hire you, we don't want to hire you. And and it's not so much like you're doing a good job anymore, pal. You have to suddenly decide what is your version of a syllabus. And so in these few months after graduating college and moving to a new city and having a new job, I noticed that the frequency, intensity, and duration of my shoulds were much louder than they had been since I had had my major healing point in my depression about a year or so earlier. I remember when that first happened, I was actually very afraid of slipping into depression again because my shoulds were so loud and I was like, this isn't good. Um, And I wasn't sure what to do. I thought maybe my chemicals were out of balance at this point. I, and by that, I mean my, my brain chemicals, the reasons that I'd been put on medication at this point, I wasn't on medication and hadn't been on anxiety or antidepressant medication for about a year and a half. And kind of wanted to still press in and say, can I learn? Can I can I figure out how to cope with what's going on in my world without the medication? And and if all else fails, go back onto it because I'm not fully against it. But but kind of wanted to I wanted to accept the challenge of that. And so 
I did a very logical thing again, where I said to myself, I'm just going to think about why, why I'm having my shoulds. And I figured out it was the move. And I sat down and, and, and then if you feel like, wow, Allison, I'm really resonating with what you're saying. Maybe think about has, are you having louder shoulds in your, in your life right now than you have in the past? Or have you ever thought about your shoulds before? Like, wow, I guess I do say I should eat this or I shouldn't eat that, or I should go for a drive or I should exercise. Um, what would your life look like if you had a different way to make decisions other than shoulds. And so I realized that my shoulds were because of my move and because of lack of basically a syllabus in my life. And I was using my shoulds as a fake scaffolding for how to spend my time in a season of my life where I didn't have a set friend group. (laughs) I was in a new city. I didn't have a church or events to go to other than events for my work. And I didn't have homework or other obligations telling me how to use my time. And so in short, I was panicking from feeling like I had no idea if I was working hard enough or if I was being social enough. And in general, I felt like I just wasn't enough. So I was shooting myself into doing, I don't even remember what, probably going to the gym or going to the grocery store or cooking meals, something. And so ultimately, I had to develop clarity. I had to develop a better way of making decisions and and a new way and a way that maybe was scary because it actually meant I was making a decision rather than living by this, again, just ethereal should God of like some something, some higher presence or some some law of the universe that developed what I should and shouldn't be doing and, and not being able to enable myself and empower myself to have clarity for what I needed, what I wanted to do, what I what I had the capacity to do, what I was interested in doing. And ultimately, what I learned in this part of my should journey is that the opposite of my shoulds when it came to my clarity were my wants. And this was really, really hard for me. I was afraid. I I grew up in a religious community and kind of had been, I mean, definitely had been taught that my wants were probably, probably inherently evil or inherently bad. And, and I'm still, I grew up in a Christian community and I'm still a Christian, but I really started to develop this idea that, um, that God's not sitting from the clouds saying you should do this and you should do that. And that was a really big part of my journey, at least in where I was realizing my shoulds came from. And, I ended up having this conversation, this sweet conversation with the Lord as I was journaling um, about what I wanted. And that was very scary for me because up until then, I, you know, tried to avoid my wants or tried to say, you know, my wants are probably bad or they're probably selfish or they're probably myopic, short-sighted. And suddenly with just this dearth of time, this all this time in the world, um, at least just this unsyllabus life, I had to decide, how am I going to spend it? How am I going to use it? And all I could figure out was I need to have better connection with what I want and what I need. And so I needed clarity. And that ended up, I remember 
it was a several year journey and it has been, um, I mean, many years. I was, I moved to my current city in 2014. And since then, I've been on this growing journey of be, being connected to my wants and I would journal what I wanted. And sometimes I remember journaling. I would just journal whatever. I would write down whatever came to mind. I want, I mean, I remember writing one time, I want long hair. Um, some of them weren't things that I could necessarily accomplish in the snap of a finger or just like go out my door and be like, I want blah, I'm going to go do it. Um, but I, I developed the muscle of knowing what I wanted and also knowing what I needed. I, you know, in my previous point here about, you know, shooting ourselves keeps us from body awareness and from awareness of our needs. Um, taking naps was a way that I developed clarity of my needs. Um, do I, that's part of how we also develop things like intuitive eating for those of you who maybe have come across that idea before and intuitive eating isn't possible when you're still chronically sick, um, or it's not possible to the same level, uh, because there are some guidelines you might ne be needing to follow as you're, as you're healing your gut, but it does become relevant. Eventually we get to let go of these reins, like this death grip we have on the reins of our life that says, I need to have control of everything at all points in time. And I need to exercise and eat food and go to work and and get sunshine and do fun things on like a clock on a rhythm. And I tend to be someone who's like that. And it's, you know, the people that I work with and the stories that I hear, there are more of us who live like that and feel like that than we even talk about very much. And so, um, even if you're a different Enneagram number or different than me, there's a lot of those shoulds and those drivers that we can develop um, in our personality um, that isn't healed and that isn't open and isn't free. And when we have that tension, Dr. John Sarno, that's where he actually develops the word tension myositis. Um, he's not talking about tension in the muscles. He's actually talking about tension in the emotions that end up showing themselves in the body through um, what he again talks about that reduction of blood flow, the ischemia, and and which the brain can create, and that when we allow our minds to to heal and to be aware that that our sicknesses um, might just be coming from from this death grip we have on life to do it right, <laughs> or all the shoulds or the expectations in our lives that that we're allowed to let go of those things and healing is more enabled at that point. And so for me, having more clarity and really de delving into my wants and my needs was, was scary. It was really scary to face that side of myself. And yet it was necessary for me to have healing and to be not just uh, another duplicate of somebody else in the world. Well, you know, I should be like that person, that girl in my class or that woman at my work or the woman at my church or the man who developed that business that makes X amount of revenue. Um, whatever it is, I should be like that other mother. I should be like the person in the magazine and should be like that person on Facebook. I should be taking vacations. I should be saving money, whatever it is that when we, when we step out of that, just trying to copy somebody else in the world and, and make our, mold ourselves into that, when we delve into who we are, we experience great healing and great freedom.
So number three of why should, why saying I should is keeping you sick is that saying I should practices a life of dis-ease. And I say that funny, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but disease at its root, like literally the word's root, (laughs) can be split up into two words, dis and ease. So disease or the state of being sick is 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 a lack of ease in our lives and it's an experience of difficulty struggle discomfort or lack of comfort in our lives a lot of times we think of disease as something that is outside of us like some bacteria gets into us or a cell you know disforms and and takes over our body and and that's what's causing us pain and suffering and for sure there are processes in the bodies that can be caused by an outside source, um, like a bacteria or a knife, you know, a broken bone, all those external causes can cause us pain and problems (laughs) and a certain amount of disease. But disease is also a state we care, we can carry inside of ourselves. That is a, it's a mental state, a psychological state. And when I was in college, my story for this is when I was in college, I went for a run and I remember, or I would go for runs and I was a like sophomore in college. I had never really run before, but I had started running the summer after my freshman year. And when I was in sophomore, my sophomore year in college, my depression was definitely ramping up. It was increasing. And so I would go for a run, but then I felt like I didn't have the energy to run and I would just end up walking, (laughs) going on these really long walks and contemplating life. And I ended up learning that this, this walking that I was doing, as I, even as I went off out knowing I'm going to go for a run and then I would end up walking, was me actually entering into a state of ease. And because when I was out on my walks, I was able to step away from the pressures of my dorm room and the constant amount of people and Um, I was really sensitive to others around me at this point. And when I was on my walk, I was less overwhelmed by other people's emotions and I could feel my own emotions calming. This was, you know, this is a simple process in many ways to enter into a state of ease. As in, because it's a state of ease, by definition, to be in it, there is a certain amount of easiness to get into it or a simpleness, um, kind of like how taking the nap was simple. Like I'm taking a nap. I'm not, I don't need to be a rocket science scientist to take a nap. Um, but, but when I would describe the process of me deciding to take the nap, I mean, that was not an easy process. It was a simple process, straightforward of saying, I'm going to press into my fears. I'm going to trust. I'm going to experiment even, and just take this nap and see what happens. And, um, when we, when we practice a life of ease, it can be surprisingly simple, but also difficult because we are expecting life to be way harder than it is. We expect life to be, when you expect life to be difficulty and struggle and, uh, and, and, 
problems and, and lack of comfort, that's that's practicing a life of disease. And and in truth, life is not perfect. Life is is not easy. There are things that are incredibly painful that happen to us, whether it's how someone treats us or loss of a loved one or COVID <laughs> shutting down all of our plans and expectations or finances not working out the way we were ex- we were expecting them to. All these things are real, but that doesn't mean that when we're walking around um, that we need to be shooting on ourselves um, to because that continues that process of disease, or or rather, it continues the process of disease in the body. And so, when we think about the previous two steps of gaining clarity and what we want and what we need, and then also having greater awareness of our body and its needs and, and where it's at, we actually end up practicing a life of ease. And this third point, you might be like, Allison, I feel like you're repeating yourself. (laughs) I feel like it's very similar to the last two points, but it's another way that we can frame why saying I should is not helpful for us. Again, and and I'm making this argument in many ways to, I wish wish my counselor had been able to tell me this when I was in middle school and say, uh, be able to kind of maybe reason with me of why saying I should wasn't to my benefit because up until that point... Um, and as you might be experiencing in your own life, you're like, if you're listening to this podcast episode, maybe you're like, wow, Alson, what you're saying makes sense, but I don't know if I'm ready to let go of the should or gosh, what would my life look like if I let go of the should? And, and that sounds really scary. What if things completely fall apart because I'm not living how I've, how I've taught myself to live, how I've been living with, you know, deciding how to make my decisions based off of shoulds and expectations. Like that's how I've made decisions. What would my life look like without it? And that tension, that, that, uh, that point of tension of, of making that decision of whether or not you're going to change how you're living, even in the smallest ways, these are, these are not always huge changes. And, and I, I don't, yeah, no one's ever given me an award for for taking naps in 2018 when I started my business. Like no one, no, I'd say, yeah. I mean, I had a roommate who maybe was aware I was taking naps, but, um, I mean, she had different needs and so she just trusted, we had a great relationship and I think she just trusts Allison just does what she needs to do to help herself. And she, um, had a much more vigorous, body and health than I did. And so, um, she was always going, going, going. And she, so she was never like, Allison, good job. You took a nap. I had to give that reward to myself. I actually told her a couple of times, like, Hey, I'm really proud of myself. I took a nap, even though I was scared to do it, or I felt like I shouldn't. There's that word again. And, and then this thing happened and then I woke up and I felt better or I woke up and I had an idea about how to, how to, put my website together so that it would serve clients better. Or I woke up and, and I had that voicemail from a new client who wanted to work with me, whatever it was, um, those rewards, no one's rewarding us for, for the small ways that we listen to ourselves or we journal or we, um, maybe get a counselor or that we, um, do something that we want to do or that we dive into our wants. And I mean, again, I journaled for years practicing. What do I want? What do I actually want? And and those wants would be short term, like right now. What do I want? Oh, I want a chocolate cupcake. Um, or like right in in tomorrow, what do I want? Or next month, what do I want? Or in ten years, what do I want for my life? What do I want to be true of my life? And 
and I ended up because of those first two practices of body awareness and, and clarity and, and, and ownership of my choices, realizing that maybe not all my choices was choices would always pan out the way I wanted to not saying, well, that just proves that I should have, there's that word again, that I should have lived by my shoulds. Um, but really just saying, oh, I guess that this is just how things panned out and this is how I'm going to move forward. And that's the life of ease. (laughs) It's like this incredibly difficult thing to let go of because I've been there. I've been there and so afraid to give it up, but also knowing I couldn't live with it anymore. I couldn't choose to live in a practicing mindset of disease or dis-ease. I needed to practice ease and I needed to grow myself. So reason number four then that saying I should is keeping you sick is that saying I should keeps you from growing your happiness. Where I picked this up from is actually from an author, Gay Hendricks, who is a psychologist, and he wrote a book called The Big Leap. And in The Big Leap, which is a phenomenal book, I would highly recommend it, and we will put the link in the show notes, he has this thing he has developed, and he terms the upper limit theory. And the upper limit is your your invisible ceiling, and it's personal to you, this is not sociological or anything, your personal ceiling of how happy you're allowed to be. And how he describes it is that, you know, when we are, and actually with his studies, since he's a psychologist, he he studies where where does the upper limit develop? How, how does everybody's upper limit set itself? And um, he determines that it's in the first two years of life, which is I mean, I think I remember when I heard that thinking, okay, that makes sense, but that's also terrifying because I have no agency when I'm two years old. Like, uh, we're, you're a bundle of cuteness, but, um, if you grow up in a, they've studied infants in the womb and he doesn't get into this as much, but I've done more research on it. When you study infants in the womb, they respond to yelling. They respond to music. They respond to noise and loud sounds, um, like when, before you're even born, you're taking in data of, is my environment safe? Is my environment good? And of course you're actually living off of your mother's own hormones. So her cortisol, her stress hormones, her, her nutrients or lack thereof, um, all those things are impacting the infant and, and preparing it. It's meant to be a good thing, like a protective thing, like the baby's kind of going through normal life before it even gets to normal life. (laughs) And so, um, it's, it's meant to be a good thing, but it also means that, um, babies and depending on their environment, whether it's, you know, maybe you can look back and know that, um, your parents yelled a lot when you were an infant and had a lot of arguments and uh, maybe you were not always cuddled or held the way you needed to be or wanted to be when you cried. Um, That's the case of children who've gone through neglect or children um, like I have an adopted brother and um, he, we know that he was neglected to a certain amount when he was young because his mom would work nights and um, he was just left at home probably crying and never being comforted. And so that, um, that upper limit then says, 
Um, it's this internal thermometer, um, that says this is how happy you're allowed to be and anything past this is unsafe. And so, um, our body, maybe, uh, my upper limit was, I like to think of the thermometer idea, like 68 degrees and 68 degrees is exactly how happy I'm allowed to be. By the way, I, I think that's kind of cold number. So, um, it makes me nervous when I think about, I think that was my reality. And what, what, what Dr. Gay Hendricks says is that when we hit our upper limit, our body actually goes into protective mode. And what that looks like typically, he says, is anxiety and or or some type of self-sabotaging something um, that b- brings us back down. So if your upper limit is 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's about how happy you're allowed to be in combination of your wealth, your relational health, your physical health, all these different things, what you've kind of determined and what you was set for you as a child and what you've developed thus far, because your upper limit can't, you can change your upper limit. Um, but some people's don't change too much, depends. But wherever you're at right now, whatever age you have, um, whatever your upper limit is, when you pass it and you get to maybe 72 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe you get a bonus or a uh, maybe you buy a new car that you really like or maybe you're in a better relationship than you than you have been in before. Um, whatever that is, when you when you pass your upper limit, you'll start to have anxious thoughts and that those thoughts are a valve for us to let go of steam of happiness that, that, that we, we, we are expanding and getting bigger. And then the body says, Oh, this is, this is scary. This is unsafe. And you might even notice thoughts of like, uh, this, this probably can't last any longer, or this is going to fail, or I just got a promotion. What if I fail my job and all these anxious thoughts? Um, or I just had a kid. What if the kid gets hurt? You know, like you're growing your family, you're in a relationship. What if my person cheats on me or, or (laughs) all these different things that can happen to us? Um, where we're having anxious thoughts and those thoughts are meant to then say, okay, I'm, I'm being anxious. So I'm having a negative experience. And then we, we go from that 72 back down to the 68, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Um, we're back at that better place. Sometimes it goes beyond just anxious thoughts. And we go from this person who's very driven and very responsible. And maybe you not finally now have a promotion or you get a, a big insurgence of wealth or, he goes through all these different case studies of people he's worked with and what 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 was their trigger and he looks at again relationships and money and career and all these different things that make us happy and he says that we might also suddenly become lazy suddenly become depressed suddenly make an incredibly unwise financial decision or do something very impulsive that's outside of what we normally do. And he says that that is, that's a, you know, part of, that's the inside nature of why we would self-sabotage. And that's kind of a cool thing to throw out there nowadays, but I don't think that people really talk about the psychological basis of why we self-sabotage. They're just like, oh, I'm self-sabotaging. I'm like, well, why? And what can we do to stop it or limit that? For Gay Hendricks, what he says is, um, you can notice you're having an upper limit problem. Maybe you notice your anxious thoughts and you can stop and think like, am I actually being invited to feel more? And what I find that in when it comes to health and when it comes to physical well-being, um, sometimes physical 
lack of well-being is simply more familiar and it's scary to become better or it's scary to trust ourselves and say, I'm going to go off this supplement or I'm going to go off this medication or I'm going to, you know, not, and I'm not saying just go off your supplements and medications, but like I've gone through states where I did go off in a controlled manner, my anxiety and depression medication, or I did, um, stop eating, like my strict elimination diet. Now I had to, I actually failed leaving my strict elimination diet several times because I had other physical problems going on in the body. So this is not to say don't look for deeper root causes, but it is to say if I didn't psychologically prepare myself to have a healthy body, I believe I could have removed that parasite, healed my gut, and still had as many symptoms because I was so (laughs) anxious, like this little ball of anxiety about um, maybe it'll come back or maybe it's going to come back. And so I had to train my brain in advance to be expanding my upper limit of what I was going to be comfortable with and what I felt safe being happy at. I love that Dr. Gay Hendricks actually talks about specifically, I mean, he had, he said this once, it's like a very short little thing he says in his book and it stuck out to me so much, but he says, we spend years and decades and we've honestly spent th- hundreds of years studying how to cope with negative emotions, how to cope with sadness and anger and fear and, and how to grieve. And we've studied the stages of grief and, and we've gone through, we, we spend, we have all these classes on like how to, how to grieve, how to be sad, how to be angry, how anger management, like all these kind of less pleasant emotions. And he's like, there are, there are no classes out there on how to be happy. Like, like I could just, (laughs) I just want to stop talking and think about that. There are no classes on how to be happy. And that's not to say that there aren't. Now I'm sitting here being like, I should go Google it. I'm sure there are. But like, that's not the cultural norm. If you're having a problem being happy, you go and, and you go and look at how sad you are. Um, and, and not to say, again, not to say that that's not relevant. But for me, I realized I had this, I had a pattern. That's what hit it. I had a pattern of just always not being happy, always being anxious, Uh, always not having enough financially, always doubting myself, always being fearful, always shooting myself. And I was like, this is a pattern. And what if the pattern isn't about going and rehashing my childhood or, or redoing this thing that I've already done? If what I've already done to improve those areas isn't getting me to the next step, I might need a different tool. And so, um, I read, remember reading his book and, and, and deciding, okay, let's, give myself 12 months to take a class in happiness. And there was no class. I didn't join one or anything, but I gave myself, I said, life is going to be my class on happiness. And I'm going to give every day an opportunity to expand my upper limit. I want my upper limit to go from 68 degrees to 86. 86 sounds super awesome. And maybe when I get to 86, I'll want to expand it more. Um, or I'll install air conditioning and (laughs) there's a certain amount where the, the metaphor breaks down, but The point is, is that you grow past your upper limit in the midst of discomfort, fear, and worry. Your brain and your body may be trying to keep you safe, like that backing up feeling you get when you step near a cliff, 
But if your goal is bungee jumping or skydiving, succumbing to that backing up feeling doesn't serve you anymore. It's all context. Maybe you're standing on the cliff of the Grand Canyon with no bungee cord, back up. But if your goal is to expand yourself and to skydive or to bungee jump, do something you've never done before, you are going to feel fear. But succumbing and and submitting to that fear is going to keep you from your goal of having an extreme and a new and a different, a fun experience. On the physical level, um, and this is actually the cure or, or one of the things that Dr. Gay Hendricks recommends for growing your upper limit. On the physical level, fear is what he what he says. Fear is excitement without the breath. And so we have the same hormone response, um, the same part of our brain and our hypothalamus reacts to um when we're afraid and when we're excited. The only difference is that when we're afraid, we actually stop breathing. Imagine like um, if you think someone's in your home, you would actually like, you you actually stop breathing. Maybe even just now you're like, is somebody in my home? All right. Um, if you hear a, a weird noise, you stop breathing. And that's a biological response to, um, for a couple of reasons, A, to not be heard, um, B, to be able to hear better because our own breath is not getting in the way. Um, there's also fight and flight and freeze a little bit mixed in with that response as well of stopping breathing. And then excitement, um, imagine being on a roller coaster, like the classic roller coaster thing is like screaming. Bah! And and it's the same thing of like, I'm totally afraid, but I know I'm locked in. And, and you know, I know this thing's safe. I'm pretty sure it's safe. Um, <laughs> of course, that's that's the thrill of a roller coaster ride is it's something you've never experienced before that the, the rate of movement outside of the confines of a car or at the angles or at the the speeds that we're going. And so, um, with excitement, there's like a, or, or if, if you're at a football game and your, your, your team's about to make a goal, you, ah, you scream and that's, that's breath. That's excitement with breath. And there, you could actually imagine being fearful. Like you could be legit afraid on a roller coaster and you're probably not screaming. You're probably like curling up and, and, and pulling yourself in and trying to shrink yourself and, and, and like, hold on for dear life on that roller coaster. Or if uh, maybe you're the losing team, you might be yelling as well, but maybe, maybe you're just frozen because you're like, it's like watching a car accident happen. And you're like, no, I don't want this to happen. And you stop breathing because you're afraid that your team's about to uh, lose. And so, can you see that difference of the fear and excitement? What he recommends is if we notice those anxious thoughts in our lives, um, first to call it out and be like, hey, am I being invited? Are these anxious thoughts actually telling me I have an opportunity to expand myself and to increase my upper limit to can I breathe into this moment and can I actually sense myself expanding and can I slow myself down and say I'm ready for this and imagine that like that's when you step on stage to give a talk or that's when you're about to give birth to your firstborn child that whenever when you're about to walk down the aisle and get married like am I ready for this new expansion of myself I did a couple things um, in 2018 and 2019 to actually follow Dr. Gay Hendricks' advice on using your breath to grow. Um, the two things that I practically did is I yelled in my car, legit yelled in my car. Um, 
I remember like driving to work or sometimes it was even errands. If I was just processing something, um, I'm a singer. I have a, I have a vocal training background. Um, so sometimes I would sing, um, songs that were very powerful and very loud. And of course the lyrics were meaningful to me at the point. And I, you know, there's different songs like there's a song I love called Catch the Wind by uh, Jonathan David and Melissa Helser. And Melissa Helser, when she wrote the song, uh, she actually has a chronic illness, uh, some type of really chronic, very painful skin disease where uh, her she's in she's in constant pain down to her very bones. And so um there was one day that she was getting out of bed and and she was felt drawn by the Lord to say, sing, I want you to sing yourself in out of this pain. And, and she was kind of frustrated at that point and like, this is ridiculous. And she said she's blow drying her hair and she just, she just takes a big breath and he says, I am strong and full of life. And uh, you guys never heard me sing on this, on this podcast before, but, but like, that's her first words. I'm strong and I'm full of life. And I would sometimes sing that in the car, whether it was because of my physical illness or because of my, um, maybe something psychological going on. Um, I remember in 2018, I really wanted to be married and I wasn't married. And so sometimes I would be frustrated about that. And like, I would, I would just be yelling either a song <laughs> like that, um, or I would be uh, usually yelling a declaration. So I'd be declaring things over my life um, to to stretch my upper limit. Honestly, I annoyed myself with my, I, I still annoy myself with some of my declarations, although I'm more used to it now. And if you've never heard of declarations, I'm going to put a link in the podcast um, call, to a podcast episode where I was a guest on a podcast called the Biz Chicks Podcast. And the episode's called The Science of Mindset. And uh, we talk a lot more about declarations in that episode and, and shifting your mindset and helping your mind grow and heal um, as, you're, as you're doing hard things, whether that's healing your body, having a family, running a business, having a job, being promoted, all these hard things we do in life. And um, that was one thing I really did is I, I would yell in the car either declarations or songs that I was doing. And, and when you sing and when you yell and when you declare, you're using breath. You have to. And so I was really growing and stretching myself to do that. And let me tell you, it wasn't comfortable. I was like, I'm the weirdo shouting in my car, but it's a very safe place <laughs> if you're alone. And then the other thing I did is um, in 2020, my husband and I, um, still on the on the topic and concept of using breath to to heal ourselves, especially in this concept of like growing ourselves, of going from that fear to that excitement. Um, in 2020, my husband and I, we were like, okay, it's clearly 2020, and we don't want this this year to just take over our, us. Like we have control, and so we planned and to do a triathlon on our own. We actually planned to do it before the COVID hit. And when COVID canceled our triathlon, we're like, we're going to do it anyways. I had never done a triathlon and I'd actually um, never swam in open water. And this is where the story comes in because um, I remember when we started training in open, in open water, it was at this like pond in a park where there's lots of people. It's relatively safe. Um, but when I first started training in the water, just would swim along the the shore of the of the lake, and I had kind of like a beach line shore. And then I knew that once I kind of felt like my swimming skills were <laughs> trustworthy, I guess you could say, that I wanted to go and swim in open water. And um, I remember the day that 
I was going to swim in open water, I like waited probably up to my knees and I'm staring at this open water of that I'm going to swim in and it's dark and it's not a pool and it's scary. And my body and my brain wanted to keep me safe. <laughs> like they were screaming at me like, back up, back up. And I remember telling my husband, like, you cannot let me leave this beach until I have swam out in the open water. I'm like, you can't let me leave. So my husband's standing beside me um, in 2020 and, and I'm, I'm staring out this and my, I, I kept my vision on what I wanted to grow into. I mean, I was terrified, genuinely, like I was, it was not thrilled. Um, but I, I had my plan of, you know, I'd go out and swim in the open water. I knew there's likelihood I'd be terrified. And so if I, if I um, really needed a break, I would swim on my back because that's a really easy place to swim. There's ease in it. I And there's breath because the funny thing about swimming is it's one of the sports where you can't breathe at any point in time. Like you only get to breathe at certain strokes when your head's above water. And so um, it's even a funnier thing to be thinking about with breath is like sometimes you can feel like whatever you're doing is like almost like swimming. Like Austin, I can't breathe. Like like there's certain times where I'm just not allowed to breathe and it's it's about figuring out what's my plan when I feel afraid, when I feel stressed. Um, for me, my plan was I'm going to flip onto my back and I'm going to just backstroke and I'm going to just let myself keep swimming and, and until I calm down, until my breath becomes less erratic, until I, I gain my strength back. And so that swim was one of my slowest swims of the training time. And I could have like in this kind of should world, like I should have been swimming faster. Or I shouldn't have been afraid. Telling myself I shouldn't be afraid was not helpful. I was, my body was freaked out. And so I just honored my body. I honored um, where it, things it had or hadn't experienced yet, which was, I hadn't experienced open water swimming ever. And then I also honored my goal and my goal was to increase my upper limit or to increase, at least in my physical capabilities, if not my mental capabilities. And, um, when I finished that 0.8 mile training swim that day, I was so proud of myself. I like couldn't stop talking on my drive home. I totally knew I hit a new limit and a new new level of confidence in my skill, of my body, of my ability to survive really scary things. And ultimately, I was excited at the end of that. So that's what it's like to live outside of your shoulds. It can leave you breathless. It can be scary, but it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Nowadays, when I see myself shooting myself, I get a little red light inside my brain that says opportunity and I have an opportunity to grow. If I say I should be making dinner right now, or I'm trying to think of things that I might've thought recently, um, I should be taking a break. I should be working harder. Um, I still get my shoulds. Like I totally get them, but I use them more as, <laughs> I honestly use them more as like guiding posts of, oh, hello, should. Thank you for dropping in. What are you trying to tell me? Aside from some point blank, like you should, like, my should isn't trying to tell me I need to take a nap. My should is communicating something to me. And it's my job to kind of figure out those deeper meanings. Um, I have an opportunity to press into something that's making me uncomfortable. And I have an opportunity to overcome fear and turn it into excitement, turn it into growth, turn it into health, and to turn it into ease. Ease in my body, ease in my clarity, ease in my happiness, 
And ultimately, that is a perfect place to be growing when it comes to our health. So action steps quickly, just to review things we just talked about. Um, When you want to reverse engineer your should, lessons from these four ways we described. I just realized that I, I think I had five, but now there's four when I was editing the everything here. So there's four. But um, body awareness, so is the the first step to reverse engineering the shoulds in your mind is press into your body's needs, allow yourself to be where you are at, um, and do this as a mental exercise first. So I encourage you to journal um, like I did, like write down like what I want right now, um, what I need, what my body is communicating to me, and Then lastly, and with the body awareness is be curious. Is there any way that your body and the sensations it's giving you, whether that's pain or emotion or fatigue, um, is there any way that that body awareness is trying to tell you something? And for me, that nap, it was telling me I needed to slow down. Ultimately, those naps I took were the foundation of me developing my business in 2019 and 2020 and continuing it into 2021. And if I hadn't taken the time to do that, I might not be here today talking with you. I might have burnt out. I might have just gotten sicker or, or really hated the work I was doing. And so be curious about, about your shoulds and then the body, the, the needs that your body is showing you. Um, You can also ask yourself, is there any chance that actually giving myself the thing that my should is shooting me away from, is there any chance that giving myself that thing could grow me opposed to shrinking me or hurting me? And could I try that thing once and see what happens? When I took my naps as I was developing my body awareness and body needs and honoring my body, I started with just one. I said, just one nap. We're just going to see what happens. We're going to experiment. And if things go really horrible, maybe we'll decide that wasn't the right time or the right way um, to do, take that nap. Um, but let's experiment. So could you try that thing once? If you're saying, I should be making dinner, is there a way that you could maybe ask your husband or order in or eat a really simple meal like veggies and hummus? Um, is there a way that you could create a new way of doing things outside of the shoulds. And then lastly, what's the safest way to try this new thing? So, um, you know, is there anything that you could do to limit any of the harms you're afraid of? And so could you put a timer on for your nap or could you, um, you know, if you're asking your husband to make a meal, um, is there like, Hey honey, can you make a meal once this week? Or is there any way you could communicate or do this thing in a way that's safe, um, for, for you, uh, for, for clarity, we talked about, creating a new syllabus for your life. And that is, you know, instead of I sh- some ethereal authority on like how you should run your life, it's what do I want? What do I need? What, where is my body at right now? And also using that as an opportunity, I would encourage you again with journaling being really concrete way to write down your thoughts and be able to review them. And even having time to sit with your thoughts, um, to, to write down, what do I want? And literally write down whatever comes to mind. Like 
If you really want a million dollars, like write that down. Like that's just a deep cry of my heart. Or I really want to go to Africa. (laughs) I really want to be an amazing editor. Or I really want to be a wonderful, loving mother. Just write those things down just so you can be acquainted, so you can validate those wants. Allow yourself clarity. Um, Another thing I would recommend is I I recently read a book that I think did a phenomenal, like above and beyond job on clarity. And it's called The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur and it's by Christine Kane. I highly recommend this book and we're going to provide a link in the show notes for that one as well. Um, if you're, if you're just like mystified by this concept of clarity and having clarity for your life and clarity for your time and clarity for your body, uh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book to, to look into that. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, I think it's her first section of her book is all about clarity and it's really wonderful. Um, in reverse engineering your should so that you can live Stop practicing a life of dis-ease and to practice a life of ease. It's really allowing yourself, allowing things to be easier. (laughs) That one's a little bit more simpler. And you could even sit there and be like, am I afraid that if life is too easy that I'm not achieving something or I'm lazy or like dive into that. Like if, if, if a life of ease terrifies you or you think it's only for millionaires or you think it's only for wealthy people or you think it's only for lazy people, like... Those are at least things that I've had to work through. Seriously, that's why I mentioned them. Um, if those are things you're dealing with, like that's okay. Press into it. You know, is there a chance that living a life of ease isn't lazy or isn't for millionaires? But is there a way that you can cultivate that? And those are actually things that we work with our clients on. Is that there can be, especially as they get to the end of their healing phase, there's this new breath of, oh my gosh, like I'm not in this pain as often. And, and what do I do with this new self, this new body I have? And we really talk and work through how to expand into this new person who you are. I'm really proud of one of my clients, Abby Herman, who is a six figure business owner. Um, she owns a business, um, And she has a podcast called The Content Experiment. And actually, when she and I started working together, her her business and her her podcast had a totally different name. And because of our work together, she was actually able to press into something she'd never pressed into before and experienced greater healing and greater self-awareness. And I mean, it was magical because because it it was merely her pressing into her health and then her mental, her, her, and her physical health and then her psychological health also followed up. And she has a really great podcast on this, on how us working together and me and me ending up recommending for her, um, and her, and what we found in her labs to not be, uh, eating wheat and not be drinking, um, beer specifically for her. That was really hard to give up. And she said that she ended up reading a book that written by a woman on how to overcome alcoholism. And that book resonated with her so greatly that she had this huge um, realization of how she wanted to run her business in a life-giving way. Um, and she shares that. And so she's been incredibly open with her story. And I'll, I'll post a link in the show notes there if you just even want to hear her show note or her her podcast for that transformation that she experienced and and how it ended up impacting her business. And then lastly, reversing shooting yourself so that you can increase your upper limit and increase your happiness is when you take away that should um, scaffolding that you can um, 
it breathe, breathe into the excitement, breathe into the possibility. Um, if it's, if you find yourself maybe being scared by the idea of like even dreaming about being healthy, spending, putting on a timer for five minutes, spending five minutes imagining what it's like to be healthy and like breathing into that and not like not grieving that it's not that way, not, not telling yourself I shouldn't be doing this because I'm putting up my hopes for no reason. Cause that's just not true. All the clients we've worked with have gotten better, like, like really gotten better. It's really incredible. And I've gotten better. And that used to be my story of like, am I allowed to even dream of a day where I'm not depressed? Am I allowed to dream of a day where my abdomen doesn't hurt? Yes, you are allowed to dream that. And it's a reality and you can find it. There are answers out there. And so um, even if you're not there yet, you can actually be preparing your mind and your body for that day right now in your mind. Uh, and lastly, with the upper limit, we talked about using breath in different ways, whether that's um, breathing and exercise, which my big thing was that terror of, of swimming. You don't have to swim necessarily, but I think going for walks, going for runs, doing an elliptical, lifting weights, whatever makes you breathe and exercise is really good. And then also breathing in, in declarations or in song or in shouting, whether that's, um, I don't know, maybe you love football, rewatch your favorite football game and like just shout and re-embody the joy and the love and the excitement and the pacing of, of the win, um, is, is really, there's so much opportunity for growth here, guys. And, and, and it's not just all about the chemistry though. Chemistry is sure, totally a part of, of, of our health and, and the imbalances we go through, but, but also what can we learn to actually take a class in happiness and, and live and break off from our shoulds. Well, guys, if you have been listening to this whole podcast episode, I just want to say thank you. This is our longest podcast episode to date, and it's so meaningful. It is. Um, I really hope that you that you're encouraged by today's episode. I know that I feel very vulnerable in sharing all of this because um, I feel like sometimes we're, we don't feel like we're allowed to let ourselves be hopeful, or it's scary, or um, or or you know even as leaders, like don't tell someone to be hopeful. They're super sick. It's like, but but ultimately that's not the story that I have to share. My story is one of hope and one of hope from great depths of pain and confusion and chaos. And so if you love this episode, um, we have so much more coming down the line. We're carefully curating all of our content so that um, you have get the most from every single episode and can really be digging into your health on every single level. So if you want to hear more, you could subscribe so you never miss a single one of those episodes. And if you listen to this podcast episode and thought of someone as you were listening to it, thought of somebody who needed one of the books we recommended or might really enjoy the content that we have, I just encourage you to take a screenshot and share that screenshot with a friend. I cannot think of how many people, every time I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist, someone's like, oh, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend you thought of a love note to their gut or their body and do us a favor and pass this podcast episode along to them. Other ways you can support us is leave a rating and review. We've been getting more ratings and reviews and I'm so thankful. So thank you if you've done that recently. They're really wonderful to read and look into and I am planning on sharing some of them in episodes soon. So um, 
Other ways you can stay connected with us is on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. You can follow find the link in the show notes. And I love connecting with y'all. Just send a question you have, share some of your favorite insights, uh, maybe put on your Instagram stories your, that you're listening to the podcast and your key takeaways. We'd love to see who is listening and what you are appreciating the most from our episodes. And lastly, just a reminder um, of our favorite quote that miracles are immediate. We love them. We always want immediate miracles, but healing, true healing takes time. 